0: Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Jonathan DeBurker Butler is here. Uh, Sounds a uh, key fob or anything of the nature to bring us some stories from other parts of the world. Jonathan, good
1: afternoon. Sean, how are you getting
0: on? Uh, right, Taiwan, uh, we're going to go to. Uh, now, this is kind of an odd kind of a. Uh, it would be funny in any other context, but I suppose in the current context in Taiwan they're particularly thinking about this
1: because of what's happening in Ukraine. Yeah, and uh, that's probably as good a place as any to to start. I mean, over the last couple of years, regardless of Ukraine, the sabre rattling that's been going on in that part of the world has been Mm. ridiculous. So there's already been 300 incursions into Taiwanese, if that's what you want to call it, but that's what it is, airspace, although it's not recognised, is it, by many countries around the world. So there you go. I don't know what it would be called. In a de facto sense, it is though. yeah, Yeah, but there you go. Anyway, that's another discussion. But 300 incursions already this year, which have meant that the, the the Taiwan Air Force have had to scramble to basically, mm. you know, make sure that the Chinese airplanes leave. So there is a hell of a lot of tension in that part of the world at the moment. And it wasn't helped last week when a television station, which is called the Chinese Television Systems News Station, right? It's, it's partly owned by the government ran uh, a broadcast which basically said that Taipei City had been hit by communist missiles, uh, that the Taipei port had exploded and the facilities and ships were damaged and destroyed. This came about at 7am last Wednesday as people were sitting down to have their breakfast and go about their day. And you can imagine it caused quite a bit of panic. Mm. The only thing I suppose that... Um, people might have been a little bit wary about was the fact that in Taiwan and around Taipei, they constantly do these drills, right? There's drills for tsunamis, there's drills yeah. for earthquakes, all sorts of different things. And this year on May the 5th, which is one of the days of the year that they have set aside for these drills, uh, they are going to do a missile strike drill. All right, and these this particular um, television station had been contracted by the local fire department to come up with these um, things that, the things that you put across the ticker read across the yes. bottom of the screen, yeah. right, to make them up. And to, you know, put them in as part of the drills that were supposed to take place or will take place on May the 5th. But accidentally, between the jigs and the reels, they managed to put them up during a live broadcast and it made it look real and therefore caused a little bit of panic. Not too much, which is quite extraordinary. And again, as I said, it's probably to do with the fact that they do these drills all the time. Um, but um, you know somebody's going to get in trouble for it. Uh, it I, I would imagine so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: though, because I, I, because as I understand it, because of what's happening in Ukraine, there's a, there has been a lot of debate. Well, there had been previous to yes. that, but it's now heightened the debate as to in the in the situation where China does try to invade. What's the best strategy for Taiwan, and that they're looking at uh, Ukraine? That the, the, apparently they're. they're calling it a porcupine strategy because, as you said, all those incursions into the airspace, Taiwan has nothing near the Air Force enough to repel that sort of an invasion. So it's probably they're they're working on the bases that went you know boots gun on the ground to make that as difficult as possible as they've done in Ukraine and now there's a whole strategy worked out apparently yeah. they've hidden weapons everywhere yeah. and those they're mobile and all that kind of stuff so uh, it's terrible where they were even you know a- actively anticipating yeah absolutely uh, but events that, such as that. that
1: that that's the way of it uh, I'm afraid in that part of the world absolutely.
0: Right, Malaysia we're going to go to uh, next. And uh, six Rohingya uh, killed fleeing a detention centre.
1: Yeah, it's it's amazing when you actually look at a map and you see where these people have already travelled from. I mean, I, I looked at it and it's... Where this particular incident took place in Malaysia is over a thousand miles away from Rakhine, where these people would have originally come from in uh, Myanmar. Um these are of course the Rohingya people who are being persecuted uh, in Myanmar by the by the military junta that's in power there at the moment and have been persecuted for years, right? And no matter where they go, they get treated Terribly, right? So mm. they're, they're, they go to Bangladesh and they get treated terribly there. They have no rights anywhere, effectively. And unfortunately for them, Malaysia is no different, right? So Malaysia is actually doesn't recognize refugees at all. It's not party to the 1951 oh, Refugee of Convention. Any sort. And it has no framework internally or international agreements or whatever. Anything of the sort. So basically, the way they treat people, refugees, is the same as undocumented migrants. So in Malaysia, if you break the law under the Immigration Act, you can be arrested, you can be thrown away, you can be caned for it, right? Mm. So you're not going to be looked after and you have no rights, right? Now, that doesn't mean that there's no people there who are, you know, really, in, in reality, refugees. There are plenty and they're exploited and they work, but once they get caught, anything can happen to them, right? They have absolutely no rights. So the UNHCR are very active in that part of the world in trying to sort of make it easier for the Rohingya in that particular part of the world to to live a little. So anyway, since 2020 and since the COVID pandemic, Malaysia has been round, rounding up um, an awful lot of these uh, Rohingya refugees and they've been putting them into camps, right? They're saying because they want to stop the spread of COVID. Um And obviously, the uh, conditions in these places are absolutely appalling. And in one particular camp, it came to a head last week when 528 detainees, and and the language around it is very interesting. They call them detainees and escapees and this kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, 528 of them escaped, okay? Um, Now, about 400 of them have been recovered now. Um, but there was warnings given to people, you know, not to give them water, that if anybody, you know, who was Malaysian in around the villages where these people escaped from, uh, were they to give them water, it would be, would be a criminal offence and the like. And the six people who were killed were killed as they were trying to cross a highway. About six or seven kilometers away from where this um, this uh, where they broke out at this prison, effectively, um, two men, two women, and two children, as they were crossing a highway, knocked ah, down. Yeah, God, terrible. That's so, the, you know, the plight of these people, no matter where they are, is 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 awful, to be honest.
0: Uh, now, you and I, uh, thousands of miles away, are saying the plight of these people within Malaysia. Is there any indication what public opinion is like towards them?
1: A lot of it is quite hidden and I think, uh, to be honest with you, an awful lot of these clam- camps are hidden. There's an awful lot of NGO, sorry, NGOs and again UNHCR are looking to get access into these camps to see how many of these are actually registered with UNHCR and therefore they they won't have rights mm. but they won't be touched as such, yes, right? Yeah. So, so since Covid, I suppose like everywhere else in the world, there are... People who are looking for scapegoats. So in Malaysia, I don't think these people are looked upon, the Rohingya are looked upon as in a particularly favourable light. I don't think there's an awful lot of sympathy for them, to be honest with you. Um, And so therefore, it's easy for the government to do things like this.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. Egypt, we're going to go to next, where a, a TikTok star got three years in prison for doing what?
1: being on TikTok quite simply to be honest with you this is a woman by the name of Hanine Hossam she's in her early 20s she has 900,000 TikTok followers very popular as you can imagine not just in Egypt I'm sure she has hundreds of thousands of fo- or thousands of followers right across the globe basically what she does is she goes on TikTok and like so many people on TikTok she lip syncs to songs and she dances right and yeah. she's very popular Back in April of two thousand twenty, she invited some of her followers to go to another video sharing platform called likey, which is i 've never heard it before it 's an absolutely terrible name, but she encouraged them to go there because she said they could make money broadcasting live videos Now, all of the people that she was encouraging were female her female followers okay. right This is something that the authorities in Egypt generally do not like and in April of 2020 she was arrested and she was uh, went on trial in July for violating family values and principles she got two years for that all right she appealed the appeals court acquitted her in January of 2021 she was released in February and then charged in March for human trafficking Right. And the charge basically said that she was using girls in acts that were contrary to principles and values of Egyptian society, etc, etc, etc.
0: OK, what's that got to do with human trafficking? One well, there wonders. you go.
1: Yeah. With the aim, with the, they finished by saying with the aim of gaining material benefits. So how, yeah. that's, how that interpretation of human trafficking comes about, I do not know. The, uh, and the
0: actual video she was telling people to on, on this Likey thing, whether it's just people lip syncing or, or you know, yeah, was it an just, OnlyFans account type scenario? I, or, I
1: don't know what that platform yeah. exactly is like, yeah. uh, Likey, uh, to be honest with you. But uh, but I, I assume that's how it's done. I'm not 100% sure how they make money out of it, uh, whether there was any sort, for want of a better word, smut or anything dirty on yeah. it. And you know what I mean? I doubt it, to be honest with you. Um, She seems to be totally innocent. She was then sentenced to 10 years for that. Uh, And that was last year, I believe, June of 2021, she got 10 years. There was a retrial and the sentence was reduced to three years. But two years of that really harrowing stuff.
0: And she, she has no further legal recourse at this point? I don't think she does, yeah. no.
1: I think all, all those their avenues have been exhausted. Uh,
0: okay. Though with 900,000 uh, followers yeah. around the world, that there's some power in that Absolutely. too, I would have thought. Uh, right, Rwanda. Uh, another story about someone being sent to prison. This is a Chinese businessman. 20 years. What's he accused of having done?
1: Yeah, I thought this was interesting just because there's been a lot about Rwanda with the UK and Denmark. And I think people think you go there and it's kind of a free-for-all and you'll never be seen again. Uh, but there is sort of a rule of law to some degree there <laughs> yeah. and, and I thought this this story was interesting also in the context of Chinese investment in East Africa which is quite significant mm-hmm. they invested about 300 million in 2020 and there's lots of companies opening up from that part of the world all the time so this particular man a 43 year old man from China by the name of Sun Xujun, he's a manager of a mining uh, firm Okay, that's okay. Uh, uh, acting in the country um, cut a long story short, there was a video of recorded of him whipping two of his workers. One of them was tied to a tree and he was using a rope to whip one of his workers and it spread right across the internet. It was clearly him. Uh, between the time that the the trial happened and the court case began, he actually paid them off. He gave them the equivalent of about 900 euros each. He wrote a letter of reconciliation, which he thought might be enough in front of this judge Mm. who sentenced him to 20 years in prison last week for this, which I thought was quite a significant sentence because my first reaction to it was, what is the Chinese embassy or what are the Chinese going to say about Mm. this? Presumably this guy is, I don't know how high he is, but be high enough, I said, suppose, in that context. There's only about 1,500 Chinese nationals living there so he'd be known in the community. The reaction from the Chinese embassy was that they had taken note of what had happened in this particular case and that they always asked Chinese citizens in Rwanda to abide by local laws and regulations. But they hoped that this chinese citizens would would be treated in the in the right manner during his during his case i think basically washing their hands of it and okay, leaving him to, to rot in prison to be honest
0: uh, given i suppose yeah it's an interesting uh, stance to take given you know one imagines Particularly in Rwanda at the moment, because the UK wants to send people there, and it's exchange for money. So there's something of a battle for influence. That's the uh, point. There as yeah, well. that,
1: that's what I'm saying about yeah. this because. So I think that the Chinese, when when we think about Chinese investment there, and although right, they're responsible for building about seventy percent of the new roads in Rwanda, and the Rwanda does owe them inverted commas mm. an awful lot of money, but there's they still seem to abide by the rule of law in in within. <laughs> to some degree, degree To yes. some degree. <laughs> it's not that they're, you know, running the place as such. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, right. Okay, we're staying in that continent and staying in a courtroom, though. In this case, uh, <laughs> this is uh, about somebody failing to show
1: up. Yes, this is former president. Interesting character by the name of Ian Kama, who was president from 2008 to 2018. Now, um, I should uh, go on and basically talk about the current president, who is uh, President uh, Matisi. And uh, President Masisi, excuse me, I'm mixing up with somebody else. And um, they were former allies. Uh, Kama was, when he was president, he was head of the Botswana Democratic Party. But when he was left as president in 2018, he went away, as so many of these people do, and he formed his own party. Mm. Ergo, his former (laughs) vice president, who is now President Masisi, and himself became enemies. And they've been at each other ever since, right? So... For the last four years or so, uh, Ian Kama, uh has been holding on to uh, munitions arms that he's not allowed to have. Firearms that he had while he was president. And the Botswana Soviet Service want them back. They gave him a deadline of November of last year. And on the day of that deadline, he disappeared into South Africa. Yes. Uh, and he, he has decided that he 's not going to come back. He was supposed to appear last week in court to face these charges of you know illegal possession of firearms, but he didn 't turn up um, He says he wasn 't given a summons. Um, and then when he was asked, well, if you were, would you turn up anyway? He said, probably not, to be honest with you, <laughs> because this is probably politically motivated and I have good insights that, um, you know, current President Massisi wants me done away with. Um, so
0: Yeah, right. Okay, finally, uh, Canada we're going to go to. Now, this is a row about salt. What's what's the deal there?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a row that uh, centres around a woman called Melissa Daniels. She runs a company called Naiti Nizoe. Okay, this is... Uh, they kind of do bath salts and soap and all that kind yeah. of thing. And one of the main ingredients is salt that she gets from a national park called the Wood Buffalo National Park. It's about half the size of Ireland. It's up there in Alberta and Canada. Every year she goes there and she scoops up four litres of this salt. Right, She brings it back to her factory and she makes the soap and she ships it all around the world. Lovely website and the product looks very nice indeed. I had a look at it. Mm. Um, but she got a letter recently where she was told by the Canadian authorities that she wasn't allowed to do it. She basically, they basically told her that it was OK if she harvested, harvested this salt for personal use, but commercial harvesting was not permitted. Now, the fact that her ancestors were kicked off this land in 1922 and have been going back and forth yeah. is a bit of a problem for both her and the general sort of storm that has developed around her right, and the people yeah. involved in that storm. So she has closed by basically saying that she's going to continue on producing her legal salt and uh, I thought this was a brilliant sales pitch. She said, Each time you choose to support Nike Nazoe and soak in our forbidden bath salts, you're soaking in a century worth of reparations. Right.
0: <laughs> excellent, excellent sales pitch. Jonathan, thanks a million. Thanks, you. As ever, Jonathan de there you are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. We're going to take a break. After that, should scramblers be banned? Moncrief, brought to you by Avant Money. Think of
1: getting the best value from your bank.